0: The name Dead House conjures up all kinds of ideas, doesn't it? Is it a house occupied by the dead? Or is it a rotten house that no one can live in anymore? We're going to go and explore exactly what the Dead House is and some of its folklore in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author, and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. Well, happy Halloween. Before I say anything else, clearly, obviously, this episode is going live on October the 31st, so I hope that you have a marvellous Halloween whatever it is that you end up doing. It is going to be a little bit of a different affair this year, I think, particularly here in the Northeast, But it is also quite exciting because it's a full moon tonight, which makes it a blue moon because it's the second full moon that we've had in the same month. So whenever anyone says, ooh, that'll happen once in a blue moon, now you know when a blue moon actually happens. They are totally a thing. Now, I had originally planned to announce the winner of my Plague Doctor naming competition today. And then I had a look at the entries that I'd had. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, some of them clearly weren't going to be picked. And you can imagine like the plaguey plague face type responses. There was also more than one of them, so it's not particularly original. Those ones clearly weren't going to get very far. But I have basically gotten stuck because there have been so many good ones and there have been some that are like funny and like made me chuckle. I mean, I'm not going to pick those ones, but they're going to get an honourable mention anyway. But I'm basically I'm stuck between like a handful of names, and I can't decide. And I thought it would be fairer if I opened it up to you, lovely people, to help me decide on a name. So you will find in the show notes there is like a vote on the plague doctor name link, and then you can vote on whichever one of the ones I've chosen that I'm stuck between, that you think should win. I have kind of gone for ones that have got like a historical or folklore connection to the plague, rather than some of the other ones. But I I will go through some of the other ones, because some of them properly made me giggle. Um, I'll go through those next time that we speak about this. So I'm going to give you two weeks, basically, to vote on this. Just because I know not everybody listens to the podcast on the day it goes live. So I'm going to basically announced it on November the 14th so yeah please do make sure that you go and have a look at some of the names and give them a vote. Obviously if you did put a name in you can go and have a look to see if you're one of the contenders I would urge you not to vote for your own name but I obviously can't stop you doing that but I just thought this was a slightly more democratic way of choosing a name. So that's that bit out of the way and without any further ado I think it's probably best if we just jump into this week's episode. (laughs) So we are looking at the dead house this week and it is a bit of a weird name. As I said in the intro, it does conjure up all kinds of ideas. Is it a house where dead people live or is it a house that is now considered dead? And I'm thinking here of some of the absolute wrecks that you see on Homes Under the Hammer. Now some beliefs do posit the idea that the spirit can't move on until the body is at peace and others explore the notion that the spirit can only move on once justice has been done. But in these particular cases, they essentially focus on the spirit. But what actually happens to spirits when a body hasn't been buried yet? And here the body sort of becomes almost more important. So do the spirits congregate wherever their bodies are kept? And if this is so, this would indeed have dire consequences for the dead house. Now, I first discovered the dead house in The Haunted, A Social History of Ghosts by Owen Davies. Absolutely excellent book, but that's as much fangirling as I'm going to do in this episode. And in the late 18th century, essentially, Britain experienced a population boom. So obviously more people means more deaths. You've worked that bit out yourself. And coroners needed somewhere to store bodies before they could have an inquest or a burial. And because these bodies then weren't buried in the traditional way soon after death, people believed that their ghosts would remain earthbound until burial could take place. Now, according to Davies, bookseller and memoir writer James Lackington reported a haunting in a London hospital. And the authorities converted a ward in the lower part of the building into a dead house where, and I quote, a continual tapping on the windows was heard, end quote. Now, the nurses assumed that the tapping must be the work of an unquiet spirit, because the dead house was quite close by. Because obviously after all how else could they account for the, the noises that they could hear. Now the nurses did refuse to enter the haunted part of the building which is understandable. And this did actually inspire my short story The Dead House which you'll be able to listen to in the next episode. Which I'm going to put up like about 10 minutes after this one. So you can hear what I felt happened as part of that folklore. But anyway... Jonathan Andrews points out that the dead house was not simply a storage space for the dead and nor were they solely used for medicinal research, shall we say. And when located within asylums, the dead house acted as a space for funeral services. So if an asylum didn't actually have a chapel, families might end up having their last moments with their dead in the dead house, which can only have been a really, really traumatic experience. Now, the first dead house at the Royal Edinburgh Asylum was apparently rather small and I quote, constructed with scant mind to the practicalities of pathological inquiry and even less attention to patients and relative sensibilities, end quote. So this really does demonstrate the lack of value that had been attached to these human beings, and even in death they weren't afforded much dignity. But it does then still bring back the idea about this folklore of if the spirit remains with the body until it's buried, how strange must it have then been to spend time in a room full of dead bodies? Now, in the UK, the dead house did fulfil two functions. So, as I say, the name could refer to the building that often stood in or near a cemetery in these house bodies prior to burial. Now, Jesmond Old cemetery near May had its dead house beneath the chapels that flank its Jesmond Road entrance, and coffins were held in these vaults overnight before burial the following day. And I have actually been in one of these so-called crypts, and it's quite funny because they're now used for storage by the offices above. However other dead houses were the forerunner to the hospital morgue or mortuary and it was their job to house the dead until the bodies could be claimed and it was here that the authorities kept bodies until investigations could be carried out and this is probably what we would recognise more from programmes like Silent Witness and things like that. And there was at least one dead house in Biker in Newcastle-upon-Tyne and it stood beside the river police station at the mouth of the Ouseburn. So if you're familiar with Newcastle and the music scene in the Ouseburn, it's a bit strange to then think that there was a dead house essentially where the cycle cafe is now. Now the police used this particular dead house to lay out bodies that had been fished from the river. Now the dead house was actually demolished in 1906 and the 1883 Kelly's Directory also lists a a police station at St Lawrence which also had a dead house. And the reason why I mention it is it's just very strange because there is a photo on my blog from 1906, thanks to Newcastle Libraries for putting this on Flickr. And it's literally a big white building that looks a bit like a set of cottages with dead house written on the back of it. So you would be in... you would, You would know... You would definitely know when you went past that that was a dead house. So, again, if you're thinking back to this belief that people had that the body, the spirit couldn't rest if the body was still above ground, imagine how you would feel if you were near a dead house. And in A Natural History of Ghosts 500 Years of Hunting for Proof by Roger Clark, which is a fantastic book, and you should all go and buy it. He relates the story of a body fished from the Thames in Bermondsey in August 1886. And here, after authorities took it to the dead house in St James's church, there were actually rumours going around that the dead body was actually walking around the churchyard during the night. And around 2,000 people turned up every night to see this particular miracle. And I just think that is such a London thing to do, really. And yeah, that, that story particularly grabbed my attention. 'Cause this, this kind of then really feeds into that folklore that the, the body can't really rest, or the spirit can't really rest until the body has. Incidentally, there is actually a dead house under Somerset House, and if you've again if you've been to London you'll should know which bit I mean, it's huge. And Charles I's wife Henrietta Maria actually lived in an earlier building on the site called Denmark House. Now this house boasted a separate chapel and burial ground within its walls because she and her staff were Roman Catholic in a Protestant nation. So that gave them somewhere to pray in peace, and it did mean that when the Catholic staff died, there was somewhere to lay them to rest that matched their religious beliefs. Now obviously Denmark House was demolished and the builders for some reason reused five of the gravestones in the walls of the new Somerset House and this area is now known as the Dead House and it actually lies below the famous courtyard. I should stress there aren't any bodies beneath the yard but when you look at the photos of it online it looks really weird just having these gravestones like installed in the walls and stuff and it does seem like a bit of a strange area to be. So I'd love to actually go and see it for myself and exactly see how eerie it is. Now, I did obviously wonder while I was doing this, can you find dead houses outside of the UK? And yes, of course you can. Dead houses are common elsewhere in the world, often in colder climates where the ground was too hard to dig graves during the winter. And the bodies would then be kept in the dead house until spring. So again, if we come back to this folklore again and again that the spirit can't rest until the body does, imagine how strange that would be if your body was essentially being kept for burial for like four months. That would be a bit strange. And in Ontario, there was actually a fad for building dead houses in octagonal shapes. However, the most famous dead house that I think you probably have already heard of is the Paris Morgue near the Seine. And it was originally situated on Ile de la Cité and it first opened in 1804. Now, many of its dead bodies came from the streets or out of the Seine. And the mortuary staff actually allowed the public in to help identify these anonymous bodies. And it's a really awful indication of how shameless human beings can actually be, that the morgue became the place to see and be seen. So between dawn and 6pm, it was a total hive of activity for both locals and tourists. So basically, the more famous bodies ended up drawing up to 40,000 visitors per day. So essentially, people were coming in to gawk at them, which I think is terrible. Now there is one legend associated with the dead house that one of its unfortunate occupants ended up being immortalised in a really unusual way and she's known as Lil connu de la seine obviously you know French isn't my strong point and she's basically the woman who's been fished out of the river and one of the assistants allegedly found her peaceful expression so entrancing that he actually took a cast of her face to turn her into a death mask. And this in turn became a death mask that lots of Parisians displayed in their homes because of the fact she's got like a little bit of a Mona Lisa kind of smile. And according to legend, she even inspired the face of Rasusiane, the very first CPR dummy. I should, however, point out that there is quite a lot of doubt about this particular legend because anyone who works with dead bodies realises that the mask actually looks like it comes from a living woman because as you can imagine when you lie down like even when you're when you're you know up and about and you're alive and you lie down like every other the flesh in your face kind of move backwards because gravity has an impact so if you're then dead and your body's got nothing really holding it together in the same way anymore again your face looks a particular way which is why death masks always look a little bit stretched and misshapen that's why it's not that the person was it's just the fact that that's what happens when you die Whereas if you do a cast of someone's face and they're sitting upright because they're alive, you get a a much closer image of their face. That wasn't a discussion I was planning on having, but there we go. This is the strange places that Fabulous Folklore goes to. However, people do still persist in believing the legend that this sad woman who was fished out of the sea and ended up then essentially being immortalised through these death masks. And it does offer a slightly more hopeful end for her than what she potentially would have gone through as an anonymous suicide victim. So that's the one in Paris and there are also dead houses in America as you'd imagine there would be and there was one at the University of Mississippi. Now it predated the Civil War and it stood on the site of what is now Farley Hall. Now the previous building that stood there acted as a morgue to house war dead before they could be buried at the Civil War Cemetery across the campus. It was actually demolished in 1958, so there is a photograph of it, so you can see what it looks like. And now Farley Hall and its journalism school stand on the site instead. And Christina Sueb notes local anecdotes in which people claim to encounter ghostly presences in the area. Now you do have to wonder, are they long dead students, are they civil war victims, or are they indeed those who were once kept in the dead house? Obviously, we'll never know. But it doesn't really seem to matter where they are, the dead house always seems to inspire fear. But there's always a but. Now, I looked online because I knew I was going to be doing the folklore of this. And as I say, the folklore, a lot of it is around sort of the spirit not being able to rest while the body's above ground and so on. But the evidence for an actual haunted morgue or mortuary pretty much seems anecdotal at best. And people usually report weird noises, strange feelings of dread or flickering shadows seen out of the corner of the eye. But these are coming from people who are visiting historic spaces rather than working mortuaries. And some of the haunted mortuaries I've found are essentially tourist attractions. And I know I actually visited a room that was used as a dead house at the asylum in Venice on, I think it's San Servolo, one of the islands just across the lagoon. And we went into this room and it's got an eerie feeling because you've got the table and all the equipment lined up to show you what it would look like. Of course, it feels weird. Is it haunted by a previous patient? I have no idea, but I do sometimes think that it's the staging that helps people to experience things in a particular way. I'm not saying that there's not any haunted morgues or mortuaries or anything. And if you actually work in one in, in the death industry in some way and you do have weird experiences, please let me know. That would be fantastic. But I do sort of think that if you don't work with the dead for a living, you're probably going to feel uneasy in things like morgues and mortuaries because they're just not spaces that you're used to being in. But I think it's kind of a little bit more to do with, as I say, the, the fact that you're told it's a creepy space than the fact that you actually think that it is. So there is actually very little in the way of ghost stories about the dead house and I think people fear the spaces purely because they're unused to being around the dead in close confines. And this would really apply to the very first mortuaries when hospital staff weren't yet used to them because it wasn't a thing that they'd ever done before but the folklore itself tends to rely more to burial and the spirit rather than the dead house itself. And I do think that the concept of a haunted dead house owes more to the revulsion provoked by corpses and the general eeriness of the place. And the very fact that the Paris Morgue became a tourist attraction does demonstrate our fairly compulsive fascination with such spaces. But I do think that the dead house is a good example of why the idea can often be more frightening than the place itself. Now, obviously, I am aware that I might be proven wrong. So if you have visited somewhere and had a weird experience or as I say if you work somewhere like that and you've had weird experiences please let me know because I'm always quite happy to collect these stories and who knows I might actually come back and revisit some of these things once I've had some first-hand experiences from people. So do always please feel welcome to email me it's just ic.sedgwick at gmail.com or post a comment on the blog that goes with this and obviously the link to that is in the show notes. Grab me on Twitter and Instagram wherever it might be And please let me know because I do think that this is what kind of helps us to explore folklore better and perhaps spread it and so on. But also understand it by looking at people's personal experiences of particular places. And you know me, if it's to do with a ghost story, I am all over that stuff. So there we go. I should point out that if you are interested in ghosts and and mediums and spiritualism and stuff like that, I am actually doing a talk on the role of women as mediums in British horror films as part of Rural Gothic 2 and my talk's going to be on the 21st of November but if you pay £10 you get a ticket for the whole weekend event so it's two days of talks and other events and so on and if you can't make anything live you will get replays so the link to that is also in the show notes as well. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you don't feel too freaked out and I hope that you have an absolutely marvellous Halloween. So I'll see you next week when we're actually going to make a jump into tree folklore. I'm deliberately picking trees that have links with witchcraft and or fairies. So they are going to be quite otherworldly trees. So I'll see you next week for our first tree, which is the Rowan. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com, and that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images, and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead, and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!